Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of our lives. Today was a super fun episode with my good friend, Jason Fitzgerald. You may know him from the Strength Running Podcast and his YouTube channel. Jason is a great coach, someone who I love talking running with very often, and that's exactly what we did today. We had four or five really fun topics that I wanted to hit about the running industry and running training and you know specifically Grayson Murphy who I think is a fascinating individual and we just we just chopped it up and it was so much fun make sure you go check out Jason uh he's doing fantastic stuff and if you listen to this show you probably already listen to his because his show is besides I think it's I think it's top three top four in the running podcast universe so again if you haven't checked it out Go do it. It is absolutely fantastic. I also want to give a shout out to Running Warehouse. I love Running Warehouse. It's the spot where I get all of my running gear online. They have all of the new releases. They have unbelievable sales. They have fantastic reviews on all the shoes. And they have all the updated stats and the information. How a shoe fits. Is it too? Is it really wide? Is it a little bit too long? Do you need to size up, size down? They have all the information that you would need. They're getting better all the time. And I just can't recommend it highly enough. I've been a huge proponent of Running Warehouse for many years. It's a website that I literally check every day, maybe to my wife's dismay. But it's absolutely fantastic. You can go check out running warehouse by using the link in the show notes that is an affiliate link which doesn't mean anything for you doesn't change the pricing at all but it does help the show so go use that link in the show also as you may know every single episode that i'm doing an interview i always do my five shoe questions sponsored by running warehouse and that's exactly what we did today also you can check all those out over on youtube as well at the rambling runner youtube channel so let's get into my conversation with jason fitzgerald all right, Jason Fitzgerald is back on the Rambling Runner podcast, and little did I know when I was having thoughts about this podcast that you were having similar thoughts, not necessarily about coming on my show, but the same kind of thing about, hey, I just want to talk some topics. I want to do running talk, not interviews, which I love, but so many times I just want to talk about these things with friends, and usually it involves me randomly calling people up and they getting angry, like, hey, this is why text messages exist. Stop randomly calling me in the middle of the workday. But I'm so glad that we can do this because I love talking about this sort of thing. I know you do too. So we got a mind meld going on. Well, I'm excited. We always have a mind meld whenever we chat, Matt. And you, you started you started going down that road with your Instagram DMs last night, you know, firing off all these things you wanted to talk about. So I was like, okay, we, we got to actually chat. We can't do this on Instagram. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. See, I'm trying to curb my behavior in terms of just putting this in text form so people can respond at their own, you know, at their own timeline. But you're like, no, we're talking about this, which is my favorite kind of thing. So I'm excited about this. I don't know what we're going to call these kinds of episodes. I, I initially thought maybe ran, you know monthly ramblings, but if we want to do this more than once a month. So who knows? Maybe maybe I'll stick with that name. Maybe I won't. But either way, I feel like this this kind of show is here to stay because I just I love talking about this so much. So at least from a selfish perspective, I feel like this is a good fit. So we're going to do it. So we've got a couple different topics we're going to talk about today. I'll just highlight them now, and then you'll know what's coming uh, from an audience perspective. We're going to talk about fueling and nutrition and how that has evolved over time for both Jason and I as you know we've become not only more you know familiar with the science of nutrition but also how our bodies have changed and getting to know our bodies and things like that uh, we're going to talk about pushing the pace on technical and challenging trail runs 
and having that, having that or can that improve fitness for people who primarily race on the roads? Like, is there a chance for that um, to be a cross benefit on that same related topic? We're also talk about Grayson Murphy, who is doing things in the running game that just nobody else is doing. Is that is she just a pure outlier, and we're just not going to see this very often, or is this potentially setting the stage for future? Grayson Murphy's as well. And then also, again, this is in no particular order, talking about the Super Stack shoes, right? I got a pair upstairs. I got the, the Asics Super Blast, which is not even, they don't even call it a, a workout shoe, right? This is like a daily trainer. It's so stacked. You're seeing so many of these now, way over 40 millimeters or even close to that. And are we setting the stage for like, hey, this is a new revolution to shoes and it's here to stay, all positivity? Or are we setting the stage for the next Chris McDougal born to run book that looks back on this this period of time like i told you not to do this what were you guys doing and then you know we have to eat crow later on so jason is there a certain topic that you want to hit first or do you want me to do dealer's choice and we'll just get it going i i like the idea of dealer's choice and and i like the idea of not knowing what's next so i'm gonna let you choose the topic first okay i'm gonna talk about nutrition first because okay. This is something that has evolved for me over time uh, in terms of what I you know, have approached my own nutrition game. Um, racing nutrition is changing. The protein powder side is changing. And just things are getting better and evolving, right? Like, shoot, even protein powder 15 years ago was just the worst. Even if you were like, hey, I believe all the science. I just can't drink this stuff. It is disgusting and it doesn't mix. And it's just, it's just terrible. But I'll tell you, the big thing for me, and I want to hear about your your how you've evolved here, is understanding like carb and gluten sensitivity. This is the thing for me. It's like I used to like just house cereal all the time. It was like my favorite food. Occasionally, like I'll hear people like, "Oh, I love cereal." Like, yes, this is my this is my favorite favorite kind of topic. Like, I should have had a cereal podcast instead of a running podcast. Like, that's how much I loved and just feasted on cereal. Now it's like I have cereal, and it's like my my body is like turned inside out. It's like, oh, hell no. We are not doing this. And it's funny, like the last three weeks, I was finally like, all right, I need to change my behavior. Like, I just can't do this anymore. And like, I feel like a whole new person. Like whether I'm like, I don't think I have celiac disease, but it's like some sort of like glutinous insensitivity has like, it It was awful. Like I'm not gonna get into like the TMI details of it, but like I was going through toilet paper at a rapid rate and it was like not the best and just energy perspective and the bloating of the whole thing. It was like, oh my God, like I'm, I, again, this isn't like, hey, tell me your experiences with this, but like my own, like, oh my gosh, like I thought I had all this fueling nutrition stuff dialed because I talked to all these people. I read all this stuff and it's like this, this one aspect was staring me in the face. I wasn't like paying attention to it. And like, I feel so much better now. And it's just like, God, this stuff is so constantly evolving in terms of the science and her own experiences. Like I figured I would have it all dialed in. But at this stage of my life, and like, I feel like I'm not even close. Like I'm always starting like back at square one. Well, you know, it's interesting because first of all, this is a great testament to the fact that everyone's body changes over time. And what might have worked for you 10 years ago might not work for you today. And I think it's so funny that you mentioned cereal because I, I just got back from the store and I got two of my absolute favorites, Cinnamon Life and Raisin nut crunch. It, it's the raisin brand that has like the little sweetened almond flour over the raisins. So good. Probably not 
uh, low glycemic index food. And, and I'm the guy who used to have like six bowls of cereal for dessert when I was in college and on like the unlimited meal plan. The best late night food besides Taco Bell. Bowl of cereal. Well, don't tell Connecticut College, but you could go underneath where the cereal was and just steal like a wholesale sized bag of Lucky <laughs> Charms from the dining hall. And that would last you like two months. Um, so thank you, Connecticut College, for that. Um, yeah, you know, this is this is a really interesting topic because on the one hand, our understanding of optimal nutrition and how people should eat certainly changes over time. And I think it's it's very different than it was 10 or 15 years ago. And our understanding of fueling, which is different than just our day-to-day nutrition, has also changed and evolved over that time. So we have to balance how our bodies are changing, how our understanding of optimal foods and optimal fueling has changed over time as well. So it can be a really difficult nut to crack. And I think the first step is just like, you know, what works for you? What makes you feel good? What doesn't give you, you know, any of these adverse side effects that you're experiencing with, you know, all this cereal? Um, You know, like I, I know for me, I'm okay with a fair, fairly high carbohydrate diet. Um, you know, I, I check my, my insulin levels every once in a while, um, or I'm sorry, my blood sugar levels every once in a while when I either get, uh, an inside tracker test, or if I'm visiting my grandmother, she's a type one diabetic and she's doing her, her blood sugar every morning. I have her prick me in the finger and and do mine. And just two months ago, it was about 99 in the morning, which I think is right where you want to be. So I'm okay with a high-carbohydrate diet, but I'll tell you, one thing that I have certainly moved away from in the last, I would say, five years especially, is just just thinking that I can eat almost whatever I want because I'm running a lot. Because number one, I'm not running a lot anymore. You know, I'm running less than half of the mileage that I used to be running, and the intensity is probably only 10% of, of what I had been doing. You know, I'm not doing those crazy workouts. I'm just not as capable anymore as I used to be. So, you know, 4,000 calories a day of, of pizza and burritos and whatever else I want probably isn't going to work for me anymore. So my thoughts on this. Are you you bulking? You're going to start a bulking podcast? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Bulkrunning.com. That's my new business. (laughs) Right. Exactly. We're we're, we're changing strength runner. We're really, really leaning into the strength more than the runner. (laughs) Yeah. I think for me personally, you know where my thoughts have really shifted over the last 10 years is on the fueling side of things. You know, I, I think we understand now so much more uh, how important fueling is, especially for long runs and long races like the half marathon, the marathon, and longer events. You know, if I knew now what I, you know, didn't know way back in 2011 when I ran my marathon PR, I think I would have been a much faster marathoner because I don't think I fueled well pre-marathon, I, I think I could have improved how I fueled during the marathon. And, you know, there's just a lot of little things that if you can tweak two or three little things with your approach to fueling, then you're just going to feel a lot better in training, which means you're probably going to be able to perform a little bit better. That means those adaptations that you're going to get are going to be a little bit more robust. And then on race day, you're just going to have a little bit more to give because of those adaptations. And hopefully if you're fueling well, you're going to have a little bit more energy as well. And the result of that is a much faster finishing time. So yeah, if I could go back and do it all again, I would probably 
maybe reduce the, the overall sugar intake, but keep the carbohydrate level about the same. So in other words, focus more on high quality carbohydrate. Uh, I would probably, you know, for me personally, this, and this is getting into like understanding what works for you. I have that very cliche, stereotypical runner's body. You know, for most of my competitive career, I was 125 to 128 pounds, rail thin, and I could eat whatever I wanted. Now, I don't think that's actually like the best approach to distance running. I think if I could do it over, I would have done a lot more strength training, but on the nutrition side of things, I would have really stayed on top of my protein intake because protein is not only what would have helped me maintain a little bit more muscle mass, which I think for me personally would have been more beneficial for an injury pre prevention perspective, for you know a strength and power perspective too, especially for the shorter distances that I maybe prefer. Um, but it also just would have really helped with uh, muscle recovery after you know the hard workouts, the long runs, and, you know just just the fact that. If you are running a fairly high mileage program, you need to be rebuilding muscle every single day. You cannot be taking a day off where your diet goes to hell in a handbasket and you're not consuming what you need to consume to fuel, not just your running. I mean, that's usually what we talk about. Let's fuel your running. Let's have that bagel. That's important. But let's also have that steak so that your muscles are ready the next day. Yeah, I think this is enhanced, especially for masters runners, because you're already just genetically going to be losing some of your muscle, um, some of your muscle mass with age, just in terms of like that percentage, if you're not taking uh, significant steps to mitigate that loss. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think that's a little bit of my bias right now, because I'm turning 40 this year. This is like my big year turning 40 staring down my mortality. <laughs> and I don't know. You you said that your favorite cereal is cinnamon life, which I think makes you 97 years old. So I think that you're maybe your your personality is aged faster than your can we get can we get inside tracks can we get inside tracker inside age for cereal production? Cause it, can this be a factor <laughs> yes. in inside age for inside tracker? If you like cinnamon life, you're probably Gen X or older. Um, my, I, I wanna... my kids actually pointed to the life this weekend in the grocery store. Said, "Dad, who likes life cereal?" I said, "Nobody." I lived this conversation happened four days ago in my household. Who likes life cereal? And I just responded, "Nobody." Little did I know that like I was going to be talking to someone in just a couple days who was such a proponent. I don't know. It's, it is such a great cereal and, and it's like a little bit salty too, which is really interesting combined with the sweet. I'm going to go to bat for cinnamon life any day of the week, Matt. So if you think I'm going to back down on not defending cinnamon life, it's a fantastic cereal. Highly recommend it. Okay. There you go. What, what dissolves faster sugar in coffee or life cereal in milk? Oh, life cereal does go pretty quick. It goes it's one fast. Of those... You gotta, you gotta be on top of it. You gotta move. You can't just like pour the milk into life and then like go to the bathroom and then come back. You're like, oh, I'm gonna go pour my coffee now. No, no, you have to be ready for action. It's a mad rush to eat the cereal. Now there are a certain category of cereals where this is true. You have to eat it as soon as you pour the milk. Cap'n Crunch, for example, is another one of those cereals. You cannot let that cereal go mushy. The whole flavor profile changes. The consistency is disgusting. And everyone knows if you eat Cap'n Crunch, the best part is tearing up the roof of your mouth. Um, Raisin, Raisin Bran, Raisin on the other hand, yeah is the opposite. You got to let that thing sit there for 15 minutes. If I'm not eating porridge 
from my raisin bran bowl, then I'm not going to be happy. Boy, our our cereal opinions could not be more like diametrically opposed. The fact that you let raisin bran sit is like an apocryphal statement in, in my <laughs> house. Um, I just, I just, I can't, I can't let that slide. Uh, I think we need to move on because there's just no way. Um, no, but I, I um, just finishing up on on this part. You know, it's like I'm like all about the whole like carb intake, you know, and you know, I think when it when it first came out, um, I you know, when it became more in vogue, I definitely like experimented with like low carb diet and things like that. And again, I, at the time I don't I wasn't like actively training, so it wasn't really like about the running side. It was more just like, hey, does this give more energy or does this burn fat? I was just curious, so I tried it on myself. Um and I'm not like into that now in terms of like, okay, I'm going to go lean towards that side of the spectrum. But I have found that like, again, the gluten, like not ingesting the gluten, kind of staying away from the simple carbs, which I've been doing a ton of as part of like, hey, more carbs, the better and all that stuff. And I think for a lot of people, that's great. Just for me, it just didn't work for me. So now it's like, again, I'm not anti-carb. I'm having like potatoes like every night. Like I'm having plenty of carbohydrates. And things that like, you know, whether it's like corn chips or tortillas and things like that, again, like those are gluten free and they're not like gluten free, like fake, like like impossible burger type gluten free. We're like, it's just like disgusting instead of gluten free, instead of having gluten in it. Um, but it's definitely it's definitely worked out for me. I'm not low carb. I'm definitely removing the gluten and it's been better. Actually, what I was doing again, you can't is sponsoring this episode, but this is not why I'm talking about it. I actually started doing um, a scoop of the you can energy powder every day. Every day now, so basically, I, I I don't run on Sunday, so not that day, but like all my running days, I have it in the morning before my run every day as just a way of getting some energy in without going simple carb or or some of the foods that have been, in retrospect, causing me some issues, and it's worked, you know. So it's again, it's like I I prefer to have like more more normal food with that stuff, but like this was it's been working better. So it's just like, oh shoot! Like I guess I'll be doing that again. I don't just want to. I don't want to ingest like powders like all day every day for like all of, all of the calories I'm taking in. But I was like, all right, like I guess I'll try this if like gluten's going to be a problem. And it was like, all right, I guess this is going to be my morning routine for now. So like I'll have that and I'll have like a couple scrambled eggs. And I was like, hey, this actually works. Tell me a little bit about that Gen You Can supplement that you're taking. So it's one scoop. It's an energy powder. W- what does that mean? Is that like caffeine or is that some sort of carbohydrate? No, it's like they're like, I think before they used to call it super starch. So basically it was like, it's it's a carbohydrate based product. I don't know like the science behind it, but basically it's a slow releasing carbohydrate is the idea of it. As opposed to like, you know, someone taking like a, like a goo gel or goo roctane. Yeah. Kind of I've definitely heard of these slow release, uh, super starch. I think they used to call it. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a proprietary type of starch that's just broken down really slowly. Yeah. I think, so, I think like the primary ingredient is like, I, I, I'm not going to speak for them. I think cornstarch plays a major role yeah. in, in, in the blend. So it's, it's that kind of vibe to it. So again, like for me, it's, it's working well for now. I'm kind of combining it with the protein. It's like, yeah, it's, this works. So it's like that's actually it. really a great strategy for anybody who might be not so uh, sensitive to insulin. Like you want to be sensitive to insulin. So if you're prone to like having high blood sugar spikes, it'd be really great to number one find this slower 
release type of carbohydrate, like the super starch or whatever they're calling it now in gen, you can, and then you combine it with protein to then also slow down the absorption of those carbohydrates. So probably really great for your run, you know, in, in one or two hours later after you eat that breakfast and probably also great just for your general health because you're not spiking your blood sugar. Yeah. And I think like, I think for me, like potatoes kind of play a similar role in terms of having like, again, I'm not going to be making potatoes every single morning, Lord knows. But like, I think that again, like that's sort of like slow as opposed to like having the bagel in the morning, which is what I was leaning on all the time. It was like, oh God, like I know this has enough energy, but like, I don't want to play my rooms around porta potties. So that's not, that's not always the best thing. Either. <laughs> we've we've all, all done right. that as runners. We've yeah. all been there. <laughs> no, it's like, it's like, I'm like, I'm like, it's funny. I'm, I'm like, uh, you know, channeling my inner Ally Feller. Like her, like, you know, like she's feeling like for her, like the Crohn's disease and having that affecting her long runs. Like every time I heard those episodes, I was like, oh, my gosh, I feel so bad. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, my God, I'm living this. Like, I'm not, <laughs> this wasn't just like me hearing my friend talk about it. I'm like, all of a sudden I'm living this. And it's like, oh, God, I got to make some changes in my life. Um, all right. Let's talk about something else that I know that. I want to get your perspective on specifically because of where you live and you have so many different options from like from a trail running perspective, mountain running, running on roads. Like you could literally run on any kind of surface or terrain where you live without like without driving very far, if at all, at some points. Right. And you can you could probably drive for an hour and have some of the best mountain running in the in North America, right, where you live. So it, yeah. it does provide you a lot of options. Um, and that is pushing the pace on technical or challenging trail runs and whether or not that can improve fitness for runners who run primarily on the roads. Now, this question came to mind for me for a couple reasons. First of all, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at running on, on challenging um, trail runs, things like that. Not just because of like rocks and roots and stuff like that, but even if like the runway is pretty clean, just like if like for where I live, like I'll have like an eight mile trail run, say it's out and back. So it's the same trail, like go four miles and come back. Like four mile trail run, it's really like a mile as the crow flies. Like it's just everything's kind of jammed into these smaller areas. So it's just constant turns, right? You're never running more than like 10 yards straight, right? It's just always turning. And so like, you know, the the over, the average pace is like way low. It's like recovery pace if you're just looking at Strava, but like you feel like you're going like threshold the whole time. So I'm like, all right, like I wonder if like this sort of thing would not only be good for trail running, but also because of like the increased athleticism required in that kind of effort, especially talking to someone like you who is like, again, the whole strength running vibe of the, everything you're up to. If this sort of thing would actually help road runners just from the increased athleticism in muscle loading and, and everything that goes along with these kinds of efforts? Yeah. The short answer is yes, absolutely. Like if I were your coach, Matt, I would say, even if you're training for a road race, let's do two or three easy runs on the trails every week. I, I really only see benefit from that. I don't see any drawback. Now, of course, there's a couple caveats, right? Like if you're training for a road race, and you want to go do your workout for the week, your faster training session, you probably want to do it like on the track or on the road because you're a road runner, because splits are important. Your actual pace is important because after all, when you line up on race day, you probably have a time goal in mind. You want to run under 25 minutes for the 5k or, or whatever it might be. And, it, and it's going to be really hard to achieve a time goal on race day if you're not sort of 
calibrating your pacing approach and, and how paces feel to your body on a similar type of terrain as the race itself. And running economy. Exactly. That, in, in that regard too. Yeah, you, you absolutely need to build a certain level of economy uh, and even like psychological comfort with race pace. And, and you don't get that if you don't practice race pace, right? You have to like do it often. You know, that's why if you're training for a marathon, for example, you want to be running marathon pace somewhat regularly, especially as you're getting closer to the race, just because yes, you're building the specific fitness you need, but you're also neuromuscularly, like really dialing in that pace. So your brain knows how to execute it. You're not going to get that if you're trying to do your marathon pace workouts or, you know, 5k paced workouts on these gnarly technical trails. You know, if you came out here to Colorado, Matt, and we went for a run, not only would we be dealing with the rocks and roots and turns, but probably a lot of elevation gain because we're here in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains and we're at high altitude. So the, the whole idea of pace sort of flies out the window when we're getting on the trails. But that's not really why we want to be on the trails, right? So if you're doing, let's say, your long run or, in, or one or two easy recovery runs on trails, the number one thing that we're getting from this experience is, well, I would say a couple of real big things. Number one, we're getting on variable terrain. And I think this has a really important role in injury prevention because after all, what is a running injury? It's a repetitive stress injury. And so if we can reduce the repetitive stress of our training in a lot of different ways, then we're going to reduce our likelihood of getting a running injury. So really running on variable terrain where every foot strike is a little bit different than the one before it can be really valuable. It's just gonna change the stress that our feet and lower legs are experiencing. And this is very similar to why we wanna rotate our shoes as runners. And you know, studies have shown that there is an injury prevention benefit to rotating your shoes. So yeah, you're gonna get on that variable terrain. You're gonna reduce the repetitive stress on your feet and lower legs. And the other great benefit that you mentioned, Matt, is athleticism. You are gonna improve your ability to move well. You're going to be turning more. You're going to be navigating holes and rocks and roots and divots. And, you know, maybe there's a, a log over the trail that you have to, you know, steeplechase your way over. And you really just have to move a little bit more athletically compared to if you were just running on the sidewalk in your suburban neighborhood. So I think trail running is, is, is one of the really beneficial things that runners can add to their training that is going to help them physically it's going to help them, you know, with athleticism and reducing their injury risk, but it's also a lot more fun. You know, I'm sure you've done a 10 mile run on the roads and you've been bored, but then you go do that 10 mile run on the trails and you're looking at the birds and the trees and it's just more fun and you're paying attention to the trail more and the time just seems to go by, even if you're running slower and the run takes a little bit longer. So, you know, if, if I had a magic wand and I could wave it over runners training, I would get pretty much every runner on the trails at least once a week, but ideally two or three times. Yeah. And one of the things that has given me pause for that is just the, the time-based element of it, because where I, you know, it's like, not only are these runs taking longer because my pace is slower. But also, like we could talk about this, doesn't apply to everybody, just the commuting element, right? I'm not leaving from my house. I don't live there. You know, I live, I have to commute, you know, 30 to 45 minutes round trip 
So it's like, okay, if the run's taking longer and I'm commuting from from my easy runs, like to say nothing of like the long runs or workout days, um, that does get a little bit tricky. Um, I will say this: this is something that as a runner and a coach. I don't, I'm never sure what to think is with these trail runs. I do find myself, especially if I'm trying to embrace the idea of becoming more athletic and using athleticism on the trail and saying, okay, this is why this is important is amplifying this, you know, this, uh, this effect is that I'm also finding myself at moderate heart rate a lot, right? So if I'm a three zone model, I'm in zone two a lot. Uh, and a five zone model, I find myself in zone three all the time. Again, just as an, you know, this just from the terrain matched with effort, you know, the constant ups and downs and all of that stuff. And it's like, okay, well, you know, I'm aware of the 80, 20 rule and staying easy, but is it different when it's on the trail versus when you're just road running and how does this factor in? And that's one of the things where like, I'm never quite sure about. Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, first of all, I'd say we don't have to treat zone three like the running zone boogeyman that if you spend any time in zone three, all of a sudden you're in this gray zone and you're just not going to really get any benefits from that training, but you're also not really going to recover from your previous workout because it's too hard. There's a place for zone three, especially if you're a very low mileage runner where you kind of need a little bit more stress for those adaptations that you want. But one of the ways that we can really uh, deal with this issue is, first of all, I mean, of course, like you don't want to spend your entire run in zone three. You don't want to also be running the same pace on the trails that you are on the road. So if you are on the trails, focus a little bit more on effort. Just kind of don't look at your watch and instead just be like, okay, this is an easy run. So I want it to feel like how my easy runs feel. And then just go out and do the run. And then you can look at the data afterwards. And a lot of the times you'll look at your watch and be like, wow, I was 30 seconds a mile slower, a minute per mile slower. You know, like here in Colorado, I can be four to five minutes slower per mile, especially if I'm running up a hill. You know, you're at 9,000 feet altitude. You're running uphill for like a mile straight. Maybe you have to even stop and do a little bit of power hiking. So it's just a whole different ball game. And if you were holding yourself to the same standard on the trails that you did on the roads, you just would be getting a very different type of run. And that's not always the type of run that we're looking for in our training. You know, it reminds me of doing hill workouts where you kind of have to run a little bit slower on a hill than a flat interval, because if you ran the same pace for, you know, the same duration uphill, it's going to feel a lot faster just because you're working against gravity, you're running uphill, you know, you got to haul your body up that hill as opposed to just hauling it down a track. And the same pace is going to elicit a much higher heart rate. And you just have to make sure if that's what you actually want. So there are some venues where you train where effort is much more important than your actual pace. Um, and then let me just talk real quickly, Matt, about the whole time issue, because, you know, if you're running the same effort for more time, it's probably beneficial to, instead of trying to run seven miles or eight miles, instead, you just run for about the same amount of time that you normally would out on the roads. So let's say you're doing that four mile out and back run, Matt, you know, let's just say this run usually takes you. I don't know, 65 minutes. I just yeah, made so up a actually number. It's like the one I'm doing just for, just for clarity's sake, it is like, it's four miles out and then four miles back. So it's like, it's an eight mile run, 
But on the terrain I'm running on, it's so twisty, turny, up and down. And this one actually has lots of rocks and roots. It usually takes me an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. So if the problem with that is that sometimes you may be ready for an eight-mile run on the roads, which maybe takes you, let's just say, 65, 70 minutes. But you may not be ready for an hour and 45 run on the trails, even if the effort is exactly the same. Because you're essentially adding you know, another 35, 40 minutes to your run. And this can really be pronounced if, if you go out on the trails for a long run. You know, I'm going to go do my two-hour long run. That's, you know, 14 miles for me. Next thing you know, your 14-mile run is taking you three hours. That, that was last weekend. And then Four, you come down. A 14-mile long run took me three hours and three minutes. But then you come down with a repetitive stress injury because your body's just not ready for three plus hours of running when your last longest run was only two hours. So if you are on trails that are that technical and gnarly that are slowing you down that much, I like to see runners just go a little bit off of time. So instead of running two hours for your long run and having that be 14 miles, you know, let's run maybe two hours and maybe 15 minutes. We're not really adding that much extra time. And, you know, that might only be a, a 10 mile run or an 11 mile run, but your time on feet is comparable. And I bet your heart rate is going to be comparable too. So if you just looked at, okay, I kept my heart rate in, you know, high zone two for an, two hours today, you know, who cares if it's 14 miles on the roads or 10 miles on the trails? It's like the same heart rate stimulus that your body is experiencing. And for a long run, that's kind of what we want, right? So yeah, like you just have to understand that sometimes trails can be harder and that's okay. We just have to dial back our effort and maybe run a little bit less. Hey folks, are you tired of the spike and crash and GI distress that comes with sugar-based sports nutrition? Well, it's time to give you can a try. You can energy, energy powders, gels, and bars utilize steady release carbs instead of sugar. So you don't feel the highs and lows in energy. That's exactly how it feels like for me, as you're going to hear in this conversation with Jason, or if you've already listened to the Jason Fitzgerald episode, then you already know that I use a scoop of you can powder every single morning as part of my breakfast also the edge energy gels oh my gosh they are the best they have that consistent fuel they also taste fantastic and they're almost like a liquid gel they go down so smooth without any lingering aftertaste in your mouth which is so it's just it's just that's how you want it that's exactly what you need and it's not just me saying it the top marathoners in the U.S., Emily Sisson, Kira D'Amato, Sarah Hall, Emma Bates, all rely on UCAN to fuel their training and their racing. Emma fueled her fifth-place finish at Boston with one Edge Energy Gel every 5K and felt strong throughout the race without experiencing any GI distress. UCAN's award-winning Edge Energy Gels just last longer than other gels and provides a more consistent feeling of energy, all with zero sugar. And so you don't have that thick... Um, or sweet, just kind of film that kind of fills your mouth uh, that you have to chase down with all the water afterwards. In addition to that, here's your chance, because UCAN is offering Rambling Runner listeners an exclusive chance to try six energy samples for free. So six energy gel edge samples for free. All you pay is the shipping cost. Head over to UCAN.co forward slash rambling to, to claim this exclusive offer. That link is in the show notes. That's UCAN.co forward slash rambling for the edge energy gel offer. Also, if you're already a fan of UCAN and you just want to save 20% on all their products, then just use ramble, code rambling at checkout to do just that. 
Yeah. Speaking of that, let's talk about Grayson Murphy, who is doing some amazing things. Grayson Murphy is someone who some people may know. She finished up her college career at the University of Utah. She started her college career as a soccer player, transferred, then transferred again, then was at NAS Elite briefly before kind of going out on her own and doing a whole panoply of things. And someone who actually has her own training journal. We're not going to talk about her training journal. Jason, you actually have a training journal out now. Tell me about this before we talk about Grayson Murphy. I might as well, as I'm talking about Grayson Murphy, like, hey, you have your own training journal. Let's talk about this for a second. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, first, let's just say Grayson is clearly in a league of her own. And I can't wait to just geek out on how amazing she is. Uh, but yeah, I do have a training journal. So the performance training journal is published right now on Amazon. And, you know, I have always been such a geek for hard copy training journals. I should show you a picture of like my training journal stack going back to like 1999. I just love it because not only is it like this really interesting snapshot of your life at that time, I think if you're a runner who wants to improve, you just, you're interested in, in running a certain time, you want to run a distance you've never run before, you're now a performance oriented runner. You care about improvement. And I wanted to create a training journal that number one is a hard copy journal because the value of that is you get to more deeply engage with your training when you are sitting there with a journal just for a couple minutes, writing about what you did today, how it felt. Maybe you give yourself a little compliment. Hey, this went really well today. You're working on that. And today it paid off. And when you do that, when you can really sit there with a training journal, write in it, engage with it, it really enhances the learning process. Because after all, what do we really want when we keep a training log? We want to learn from our mistakes. We want to learn more about our body, ourselves, the sport itself, what works for us, what doesn't work for us, so that as we evolve and grow and mature in the sport, we can really get more dialed in with our training and understand, you know, like if we get an injury, look back on your training log. What, what were you doing in the last one, two, three weeks that might have been a little bit different or maybe was a little bit too stressful? So number one, I think the learning process is enhanced with a hard copy journal. And then number two, what I really wanted to do with the performance training journal was have runners focus on metrics that are really highly correlated with performance. So I'm fostering a long-term mindset. I encourage runners to track monthly mileage. I encourage runners to focus on mileage, their workouts, you know, even things like your resting heart rate over time, because over time, if you can really get a sense of where your resting heart rate is, you can tell when it's getting low. That's a good thing. You can tell when it might be a little bit artificially high. Like if you're dealing with stress in your life, whether that's professional stress, maybe you're dealing with some relationship stress, no matter where it is, that has a hormonal effect on you. And if you can see that in your resting heart rate, you're going to be able to know, okay, maybe that really brutal workout that I had planned today isn't a great idea. And so I think focusing on some of those more performance oriented metrics is going to help you make wiser decisions about your training. Uh, and then I really wanted runners to have a journal where, you know, they are thinking positively about their running, you know, like running can be hard. Running can be a little monotonous. You know, I say this as someone who absolutely loves the sport, but it can get a little bit difficult, especially if you're training really hard. And I want runners to 
think positively about not only their training and the sport, but their progress over time. So I've included a lot of uh, different ways in which runners can, you know, give themselves like kudos every day. Like give yourself a pat on the back. You know, I, I talked to Kara Goucher on my podcast about this sort of a gratitude journal. You know, give yourself a little bit of a compliment when you do something really well. You know, even if something doesn't go well, find the silver lining. And this is a really great way of building confidence in your abilities, maintaining your motivation over time. So my entire goal with this journal was to very subtly improve runners' performances through how they engage with their training. So thanks for putting up with my little spiel on why I love hard copy training journals. If folks want to check it out, it's on Amazon, the Performance Training Journal. Uh, It debuted as the number four new release in the running category. So I'm really happy with uh, how folks have... Uh, been receptive to it. And there's quite a, there's quite a few awesome running books out now. So that's that, that's a huge accomplishment. Um, yeah, and it's like, again, I have Strava. I think Strava is very useful. I think it's great for cataloging data. No question about it. It's great, especially if you've like changed watch brands. So like sometimes like your Garmin stuff is stuff on your Garmin app and your, your Coros stuff might be on your Coros app. It's a great like way to integrate all of this stuff. At the same time, you know, it's not great for, again, some of the, the, the contextual, you know, providing your own sort of uh, opinion of what's happening of the There's moment. No right? There's no reflection. There's no reflection. Absolutely and, no reflection. It's very hands-off. And, you and, just, you go, and it's hard to go back. You're like, I'll remember this. But like two years later, you don't. You go back, you're like, wait, what was happening when I was doing really well? Or what, what can I learn from that experience? Or wait, hey, I'm doing this race. I did it two years ago. What was my training like? And you look back, you're like, oh. I don't know how I felt about any of these workouts. I just, I just see the stats. Yeah. You know what I did in, in this training journal was I included example training weeks. So I, I would show runners, you know, here's how you could fill out this training journal. And I went back in my older training logs and adapted it to the format of this log. And I included everything I did in those weeks, which was hilarious because if you go back to like, 2008, 2002, you know, when I was in high school and college, I would actually write down, like if I went to a party and had a couple beers, because I wanted to see like, oh, would I be able to run the next day? So some of my example training weeks are just funny because it's like, oh, I went to David's party and drank a couple beers playing beer pong, you know, and then the next day I'm like, oh, did I feel bad? (laughs) That's hysterical. I love that. All right. That was great. All right. So where can people get this? You said it was on Amazon? It is on Amazon right now, the Performance Training Journal. Uh, you can also find a link to it at strengthrunning.com. So it's and, linked to right there. And on the I'll put a page. link in the show notes, but if people know how to use Amazon, probably going there is faster than going to my show notes looking at the links. <laughs> Very <laughs> that's, true. <laughs> that's for sure. Or just telling Siri, hey, Siri, or was Alexa. I guess I get the names wrong of the different, the different things in my life. Um, let's talk about Grace Murphy who she's good man she is good it's like i was aware of all the stuff she was doing but listening to the swap podcast with her talking to david and megan roche was great because it kind of like put it all together it's like i i knew all of the pieces but it was nice to kind of have it all together so you can just see the entire picture at once and it was like oh my god like i knew this woman was like one of the best but it really put it in like you know, sharp relief, like exactly what was happening here. And I wanted to touch on this, especially with you as, as like, we've talked about, you know, in the past of 
how useful it is to play other sports when you're a kid and then get into running, right? We just talked this whole conversation, we had this whole conversation just a second ago about running on trails and the athleticism that can come from that and the repetitive stress injuries and the boosting your athleticism overall to helping you as a runner. And then you hear about someone who like started her college journey as a soccer player, got into got into running after that, and then is now taking on the world in terms of like the best mountain runner in the US. At different distances, the best mountain runner in the world, especially from a subultra level. And then also be, like, being a crusher on the roads. And it's like, holy cow, like, it's amazing to see this all coalesce for somebody at the same time when you're seeing not only is this happening for her, but it's happening at the same time as like just a general running boom, especially within women's running in America. So it's not like she's doing this, but like the level of competition is depressed. It's like she's doing this despite a boom in the level of competition. And it's really incredible. And to see her excel at all of these things concurrently, it's like the the baffling part, right? It's one thing for someone to be like, okay, I'm Magda Boulay. I'm the best marathoner or one of the best marathoners in the country. Now I'm going to go about to trail and now I'm going to go be one of the best trail runners in the country, right? It's like, no, she's doing this at the same time, which is like astonishing, especially when you consider, it's not like she's like, Okay, I'm going to do some sub ultra trail races, but they're like, you know, not super technical and it's like aligns with my road running. Like she's doing like VKs, she's doing like just straight up mountain races. And then also going out and hammering half marathons. It's astonishing and it and I think the the question I pose to you and it's one that they touched on on the podcast a little bit, but I I think we can probably take a deeper dive cuz Grayson's not in this conversation is is she simply just a an outlier? And then we're just going to look back on and be like, there was only one Grayson Murphy, and that was really cool. Or is this like, hey, other people can replicate this kind of success to a degree, and maybe we're going to see this potentially more and more because this isn't, while new to us, isn't really that crazy in retrospect. Maybe we'll say this five or ten years later, be like, why did we think that was so weird? Like, that was always a possibility, just no one had ever picked up on it. I think Grayson Murphy is an amazing athlete for three big reasons. You know, the biggest reason is that she chose her parents very well and hit the genetic lottery. (laughs) She's a world-class runner. And and, and that's true for any world-class runner. Like, they are just gifted with physical talents that amaze and just inspire wonder in all of us normal people. Like, she can just do things that are incredible. But... You know, that's like the cheap answer, right? Like all these runners, all these great national and world-class runners are, of course, very genetically talented. And then, of course, they work really hard to express those talents. But Grayson Murphy might be an outlier for two other big reasons. And and it really starts when she was a kid. Listening to that podcast, and I actually re-listened to it last night just so that I could get a really good idea. So I've listened to it twice now. One of the things that I think Grayson did really, really well as a kid is that she participated in a lot of different sports. And then also on top of that was just a really active kid riding her bike and, you know, you know, hiking three miles to go do things and stuff like that. Like, it just sounds like the kid never sat down and and that's exactly what you want. She's been building her endurance and aerobic metabolism since she was, you know, in, in the single digits for age. And so she really sequenced her athletic career the proper way. She started with not specializing. 
She started with getting a lot of experience in sports like soccer, basketball, and gymnastics. And I think those three sports are really important for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, soccer and basketball are high load, high speed sports. You are changing directions, you are jumping, you are sprinting, you are moving laterally. That is super helpful from a developmental perspective because you're building tendon strength, you are really building your VO2 max at a young age, and, and you're improving your ability to move in a wide variety of ways. You know, like if she had just been running her entire life, she'd probably be a case study on every single injury known to runners, and she probably wouldn't be as resilient and robust as she is now. So she kind of created this foundation to then build more sports specificity on top of it. Um, but then when she did, you know, become a runner, quote unquote, in high school and college, she didn't just specialize in running. You know, she was still playing soccer when she was in college. And, and that's really important at improving her ability to stay healthy in the long term. And then even as a runner, like once she was like, okay, I'm going to go all in on running as an adult she has not specialized in any kind of, of running. She was a track athlete. She uh, does trails. She does like mountain running. She does, you know, vertical kilometers, these VKs, which are, are just insane. I mean, if, and nobody, nobody really understands these events. So go look at them. Go research these. They Basically, are it's like, hey, I'm going to go run up a mountain and, and, and someone like, come and meet me at the top of the car. It's a kilometer, but it'll take her like 40 minutes to complete, which just goes to show how steep it is. And when we say kilometer, we don't mean like she's running a kilometer. It's like, you know, it's a kilometer in terms of vertical gain. It's crazy. Um, At first so, I thought it was a kilometer. When I first saw this, I was like, oh, this, this was, wasn't the Grayson Murphy conversation. This is a side note. I was like, oh, they're running a kilometer. So it's like they're going to run like a half mile. So I think it'll be over in like five or six minutes. Like, no, it was a 45-minute race. I was like, oh, wait, hold on. I mix, I mixed up where the kilometer comes in here. I mean, some of these runners are, are literally on their hands and knees because it can be so steep. So it, it's a very interesting event. Um, and and when, I, when I think about her trajectory as an athlete from a developmental perspective, I, I think it becomes abundantly clear that she is excelling right now because she's a fast runner. And that, and that sounds really simple, but let me, let me explain what I mean by that. She is kind of a middle distance runner. You know, she is, she plays sixth at the U S Olympic trials in the steeplechase. She's very fast over, you know, like the, the 10 mile to half marathon distance. And when you take that speed and then you just put her on a trail, she's going to be pretty good. And when I look at, say, for example, Elliot Kipchoge, best marathoner ever, he's the goat, Right. He was a middle distance runner first. And one of the lessons I try to teach all my runners, and, and I feel like a broken record sometimes because I include this in a lot of pieces of my content, is that if you want to be a good marathoner, focus on speed first. Focus on the 5K, the 10K, the mile, the two mile, the 800. I almost don't care. Let's improve our ability to run really, really fast in a short distance. Once you get good at the shorter distances, it becomes a lot easier to get good at the longer distances. 
And I think Grayson is a great example of someone who has done exactly this. She started with soccer and basketball. She layered on some gymnastics, which I think is just movement prep. It's just, let's become a very athletic person who's strong, who is coordinated, who has great proprioception, and can just move really well. And then once you're strong, once you're fast, once you can sprint, and, and that is comfortable for you, you know, you're a, you can run a fast 800 mile, two mile, 5K, you can take that speed and then you, you do a couple long runs and you're going to be pretty good in the half marathon. You know, I think it's much more difficult to get really fast in a 5K, for example, than it is to get fast in a half marathon. You know, let's do the speed first. Then we can layer on some endurance, get good at the longer stuff. And I think, you know, at a very microcosm level, that's what Grayson has done in her training. And it's that sequencing that produces, I think, the best athletes. You know, if you want to be good at the long stuff, and I do think even the middle distance mountain races are considered long in my mind, just because, you know, even if it's only 12 kilometers, it's going to take so much longer than a normal 12 kilometer race because she's up in the mountains. So she needs to be able to redline for like two hours. And, yeah. and that's very, very difficult if you don't have the speed to back it up. You know, and I, I think one of the, one of my favorite parts of the podcast she just recently did was when there was a flat section on this mountain race that she was doing and she was clocked at running 422 mile pace on the flat section. You are never going to be able to do that if you're not fast. Like, can you run 420 mile pace on, on a flat ground? If you can't do it then, you're never going to be do it, able to do it in the middle of a mountain race. So when I look at Grayson Murphy, I look at someone who, like, in hindsight, almost planned her running career perfectly. Like, from the moment she was born. Okay, let's, let's get the genetic talents. Then... Let's do all this sport participation as a kid. You know, let's really build all these varied movement skills. Let's get strong. Let's improve our just ability to sprint and run super fast. Then let's do track because it's sort of, sort of a continuation of soccer and basketball. You know, longer distances, of course, but not super long. And, and now and the, she's and starting to go longer. the physical prep is one thing. Like you, you, like you, you hit this perfectly, the physical preparation and the timeline of it. Let's talk about... You mentioned like the the sequencing for career has turned out great. Let's talk about the choices she has made specifically around her career post college. And this is where I find it very interesting. And you know, and I know that like a lot of these you know quote unquote professional runners, and I'm putting in quotes not because they're not displaying professionalism, but they're not getting paid that much. Like you think these people are getting paid? Let me tell you, they aren't. I've had conversations with people off the record about how much they're getting paid it's very very little they'd be better off being instagram influencers than professional runners from a pay from a pay <laughs> perspective like it's just it's not very much especially if you take out the cost of the shoes they're getting and the travel it's like basically almost a part-time job in terms of pay almost a part-time job so it's definitely not a full-time job for the vast majority of these people so even with that said having the the self-knowledge to be on Nazalite with some at, at the time, again, this is like Steph Bruce, Alphine, and Kellen Taylor at the peak of their powers and, and then Nazalite at the peak of its powers in terms of outreach and um, respect within, in the country, stepping away from it, being like, this isn't what I want, which is like a remarkable thing. And then also being like telling Hoka, hey, guy, I want to run trails. 
And Hoka, who was at that time really really making significant investments in their trail side, being like, well, we don't think you're going to be any good at that. And just doing it anyway and just going for it. And then time and time again, basically saying like, hey, I'm going to run the races I want to race. And that's just the way it's going to be. It's like, it's one thing to say that to yourself or on a podcast or whatever. It's another thing to live that. And just, I mean, no one else does it. Nobody else has done that. And it's, it really is remarkable because it not only does it keep someone's um, specifically Grayson's like keeps her interest in what she's doing and keeps that love available, but also it has shown not to hurt her performance, right? The negative side of potentially that someone could argue is like, yeah, that's great. But then I'm just going to be like the master of none on this. I'm going to be like, I'm going to be pretty good at a lot of stuff, not great at all this stuff. And then my professional running dreams are gone. And her, her point, I guess was probably like, Hey, like I tried to be a professional runner and I didn't like it because of XYZ about being on that team. And that was one of the most well-run teams in the country at that time. So, and then, and then to, you know, fast forward, she's excellent in all of these things now. And she's competing with the highest level people on the track at, in the steeplechase. And then also competing with high-level people on the trail. And at the same time, it's not like she's been bulletproof. She's had significant injuries that she's had to battle through. And even in that, she has approached her cross-training with like, hey, I'm going to cross-train in a way that I enjoy. And I'm going to love that. Like, she, like, loved getting on gravel bikes. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, could she be a professional mountain biker? Again, which speaks to both sides here of, like, the genetic gifts involved in this. But also the enjoyment of the process being like, oh, drudging my way through another bike workout. It's like, no, she freaking, like, loves it to the point where she's like, hey, maybe I want want to be a pro at this you know and it, it being like a legitimate conversation with like the people around her and it's like wow like the, the choices she has made independent of her physical gifts it really is you know such an outlier in 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 that setting and it i think as much as it could inform other professional runners or, or, you know, people who are hoping to be professional runners, I think it informs amateur runners even more. It's like, well, what is my excuse to be like, no, I need to focus on road running and these distances and getting really segmented into it. It's like, no, what are you talking about? <laughs> You're just like, if you want to do that, fine. But if like, if like the idea of it's like, yeah, but I'm only doing this because this is going to make me better, but I don't really enjoy it. I actually kind of like doing these other things. Well, it's like, well, not only like is nothing really stopping you, but those other things might actually help you become a better athlete. And you might be really good at it too. It's like, it really is that like have your cake and eat it too type realization as I was listening to her talk about it. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I think anybody who really wants to glimpse what their potential might be in the sport of running has to work really hard. And they have to do that hard work over years and years. That's just how the sport is. It's a long-term endeavor. And if you're not enjoying what you're doing, if it's a grind every day, you're not going to be able to continue with that. And so I think Grayson is a really great example of someone. Yeah, you're who, not going to you're going to reach your you're not going to reach your potential even if you do just go all in on something if you don't like it because you're by the fact of not liking it means you're not going to put in the hours necessary to get there anyway. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like you you know it's like with anything you know like if if you're not invested in what you're doing, you're not going to be giving it your all. Your your mind just isn't going to be fully present when you're there. You know, I might even make the argument that maybe your recovery and adaptation isn't 100% because 
you know, you're, you're thinking negatively about the sport or you're complaining in your head about all the work you have to do. So if you want not only success, but longevity in the sport, you've got to find a way to keep it fresh. You know, like that, that's why I always tell runners, let's not run three marathons a year, every year. Like you're going to get burned out from doing that. Let's vary our training, vary our race selection. And the thing that Grayson has done that I I really respect is she's always trained real hard for running, but she's added on all this other stuff to her training, whether it's cycling, whether it's strength training, I've seen her do stand up paddle boarding. Um, you know, she's just, she's an athlete and she loves doing all this other stuff. I, I think it makes her more robust for, her ability to run mountains and technical trails. You know, there was a clip of her bombing down some crazy downhill at like, you know, sub five minute mile pace. Most people can't run that fast on such technical terrain. And I think it speaks to her athleticism that she's built over a lifetime of all kinds of sport participation. And, you know, even when she is on the track, I mean, what event she's doing, she's doing the steeplechase, which is arguably the most athletic type of track event that a distance runner can run. And, you know, I think, you know, going back to your point about recreational runners, you know, how can we learn from this? What can we take away from this? I think number one, it's let's think of ourselves as an athlete that specializes in running. So yes, most of what we're going to be doing is running, but that means let's run trails. Let's do the strength training. Let's get on the bike or get in the pool regularly. Let's make sure that we can do some other things that are going to increase our injury resilience, but also just gradually build our aerobic metabolism and general endurance. You know, I think there's something to be said about doing all this cross training for, uh, to, to keep things fresh, but also let's just keep building endurance. You know, if you can get in another couple hours of cycling or pool running or the elliptical or whatever it might be, maybe you really like hiking, you know, come to Colorado, Matt, I'll show you some great trails and we can just continue to build this monster aerobic engine without just getting pigeonholed into this one idea of, I just got to be running all the time. Grayson doesn't run all the time. She does other things. And even with her race selection, I mean, mountain runs, trail runs, VKs, road races, track races, she does it all. And ultimately at the end of the day, right? Like running is running, fitness is fitness, especially running fitness. You know, like if you're good at a 5k on a track, you're probably going to be decent at a 10k trail run. You're probably going to be okay at a a road half marathon. Like you just need to do a little bit more specific training, but if you have the fundamental fitness and physical skills, you're going to be able to go far in any event. For sure. All right. We've already been on the, been on the call for an hour. So maybe we're going to cut the last one short with a super stack shoes, but we are going to talk shoes because we have our every single episode Five shoe questions presented by Running Warehouse. These breakouts are also on YouTube. So if you're watching me on YouTube, you already know the deal. Thank you for subscribing to the Rambling Runner YouTube channel. While you're at it, go subscribe Go subscribe to the Strength Running YouTube channel as well. How many subscribers you got now, Jason? You're crushing it over there. I am just about at 80,000 subscribers. I would love to hit 100 by the end of the year. You got to so, get, you gotta yeah. get that plaque. Did you get 100,000? Did you get the plaque in the mail? I think you get the silver play button. Yeah, That's that would be it. so cool. All right, we need to get that. I'm at like 350. So come on, people. 
let's get let's get together again. I haven't done a lot on YouTube, so, so there's a good reason why I don't have that many. But we're going to be doing these on every episode, and they're going to be over on YouTube. So here we go. Jason Fitzgerald, what's your favorite daily trainer? Oh, that's a that's a good question because it sort of changes all the time. Um, I have really been liking the Asics Gel Nusa Triathlon shoe, which is a weird answer because it's kind of a racing shoe. It's a pretty low profile. This is going to be on YouTube, so I actually have it right here. I wonder what colorway it was. Oh, there you go. Look at that thing. Look at this crazy shoe. I actually ran in this uh, earlier today for a seven-mile run with a little bit of progression and some strides. So very low profile. I like this. I admittedly got this at an outlet store for $20. I couldn't say no. And I tend to like the a little bit more old-school shoes with a lower stack height, I prefer like a four to maybe eight millimeter heel toe drop. And so if I'm not doing anything really long, you know, maybe up to an hour of running, I really like this shoe. It's just enough for me without it being too supportive, too restrictive in my movement. Love it. So you're a big fan of like the lightweight daily trainers? I do. I do. But the other, the other couple shoes I'll show you uh, aren't quite as lightweight. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Next one your favorite race day shoe. And obviously this is dependent on the kind of races you want to run, but I'd love to hear which one is top of your list. So I actually just did a 5k time trial this past weekend. And, uh, I raced in these guys, the Asics magic speed. They're a little bit higher profile than I would typically like. Now, let me explain my bias on shoes. I grew up as a track athlete. So I grew up racing in like track spikes, or even during cross country, I was doing like the Nike waffle spikes. And so I like a very zero drop, minimal, very flat shoe. There's really nothing there. Like I loved doing barefoot strides and doing a workout in spikes. Like I love that. And this is a little bit too high off the ground for me, but uh, it has that really fun super shoe foam in it. And so I can tell when I'm running hard in this that you know, as I'm like slamming my feet into the ground to generate that force, I'm getting a lot of kickback from this shoe. So it's not my favorite shoe for racing, but for shorter road races, it, it works. It feels good. All right. Asics Magic Speed 2. And I should say that Asics Magic Speed 3 is about to be is about to drop as well. Some people may have seen some of the first look um, of that shoe over on Believe in the Run. And Kafuzi had it on his uh on his uh, YouTube channel as well. Actually, those, the Asics Magic Speed 2s, are now on sale over at Running Warehouse. It... Are these the 1s or the 2s? That's the 2s. actually sure. They're the 2s? Yeah. I mean, they're pretty hot, aren't they? Very nice. I like I like the green and blue. I'm a big fan of the green and blue colorway on all my shoes. I'm, I, I do like that a lot. All right. How about this one? The one shoe that you really wanted to love, but just didn't quite work for you. Oh, there's so many. Um, I actually don't know because it's been like two years where I haven't tried a shoe that I just really didn't like. You know what I'll say is I kind of know what shoes are not going to work for me before I even buy them, before I even try them on. So I've worn so many shoes over like the last 25 years of my running career that I can just look at a shoe. And if it has a flared heel, it's not going to work for me. Okay. If it has a, a super high stack height, it's probably not going to work for me. 
And if the heel toe drop is like 10 millimeters or more, it's also just gonna feel really weird on my foot. So I generally can look at a pair of shoes before I ever buy it. And I just won't even buy the shoes that I know are not gonna feel good. All right, alternate question. How about this? How about has there been a shoe release that at first glance you're like, oh, this looks really interesting. And then after like further reflection, further like analysis, you're like, oh shoot, I can't buy this shoe. It has XYZ going on. I didn't realize that at first. Pretty much every trail running shoe that exists. So <laughs> I I like the idea of trail running shoes, but every time I buy a pair of trail running shoes, with the exception that I have now. So right now I have the Brooks Catamount right here. Okay. This shoe the, is... The people listening now is the Brooks Catamount 1 he is holding up. Yes. And you can see like there's still dirt on the bottom of it, like trail, trail running uh, center here. But... You know, the, the catamount is actually pretty good because it's not super stiff. I, I, I can't tell you how many trail shoes I have bought and I'm all excited for them. And then they come in the mail and I try them on. And it's like, it's like wearing a cement block on your, on your foot because they make these trail shoes with a supremely rugged outsole. And for me, I, I like a more flexible shoe, probably from my youth wearing spikes all the time. But you know what I used to wear all the time for, you know, like a four to eight mile run is the Nike Free with the fly knit upper. I loved that. Barely gave you any support. You know, maybe had an eight millimeter heel toe drop, but super flexible, had almost no upper support whatsoever, but absolutely loved it. It just let my foot behave the way my foot wanted to behave. And it just felt so good. So maybe that's your answer to your next question. What's your first favorite running shoe that you fell in love with? I, so the Nike Pegasus Racer, which I think was around in like 2005 through 2007, was one of my favorite shoes. They stopped making it. And so it was basically a very pared down version of the Nike Pegasus. I uh, really loved the Nike Free with the fly knit upper. Those are some of my favorites. And recently I have started liking the Hoka Zenal trail running shoe because it's, it's unlike most other trail running shoes. It's pretty flexible. It has a reasonable heel toe drop. Uh, it, it's not super high off the ground. The tread is not super aggressive. So for me, it's absolutely perfect. You'll, now you'll know how much of a running shoe geek I am. Again, Jason did not give me any of these ahead of time. I can also tell you that that is on sale right now for $127 because the Hoka Zanal 2 is coming out shortly. Um, so people want to go check that out. Again, all of these links will be in the show notes. Um, but the Hoka Zanal is, I think it's 127 which is like a steep discount from what it was before. Totally. Because I remember I bought two of them last year in 2022, and it was a little bit of uh, a slap in the face when I was paying like, $170 for a pair of running shoes. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit philosophically opposed to the prices. Well, you just told me that their favorite daily trainer costs $20. <laughs> so I, I believe you. <laughs> I mean, I love that shoe just because of the way it is. I, I just happened to find it in an Asics outlet store. But, you know, some of these shoes now are close to $300. And I own, they don't I own a pair of one of them. I own, I own the Free Trail GS Tam. I mean, the, the, the Speedland Free Trail GS Tam. It is, it is, it's almost kind of crazy. Like I remember when shoes were like 80 or $90 and, and like, maybe this is me like being an old man, like get off my lawn, you 
expensive running shoes, but it's just kind of crazy, especially when you consider that a lot of the really expensive shoes are number one, only used for racing and, and sometimes just have a very low shelf life, you know, like they're not going to last more than a hundred miles or 120 miles because, you know, they're just not made for longevity. They're made for speed. And as soon as that, that super shoe foam starts breaking down, they're not really going to work for you and you, you got to go shell out for another pair. So it's kind of crazy. Man. And this is the benefit of getting last year's, you know, last year's big, big ones, right? So like you can get this in all now at deep discount. You just showed me the Brooks Catamount one that came out three years ago, but the Catamount two is out now. So that one is actually at, I think it's $93 um, on sale now at a lot of places. Again, I think running warehouse is one of them. So um, again, so if you want new shoes at a low low discount, I mean, big discount, it's kind of like getting last year's shoes. It's like, you know, you get them brand new, but it's only, they're always like a really good, a good, a good thing. That's why, like, I've always preferred last year's model versus the like budget, budget discount new shoe. Right. So you can get like yeah. the Brooks budget discount shoe, which are probably fine. Or you can get last year's really nice shoe brand new, but they marked it down because their new shoes coming out. Yeah. And, you know, I go up to Boulder, Colorado, and I sometimes run with some very talented people who are like super engaged in the running community. You know, it's like a hotspot of the running community in the United States. Nobody cares if you're wearing last season's running shoes. So if you're worried about that, don't be. Uh, and, and Matt, I'm now very interested in getting some more of these Hoka's because I'm going to be start doing a lot of both hiking and trail running more since it's getting warmer here in Colorado. Um, those running warehouse links that you have, are, are they going to be in the show notes? Cause they are. I yeah. want to get those. I want to get that savings, man. You got to, got to get them right again. And the, these, they are affiliate uh, links. So it helps me. doesn't affect anyone. doesn't raise the price for anybody, but it does help the show. So there you go. Last one, Jason, the shoe that you would love to buy in 2023, if price was no object. So you could have multiple $20 bills in your pocket that you could use. I'm just going to go multiple um, uh, pairs of the Hoka's and all. Like I, I literally love that shoe. And now that, I mean, I may go for like the updated version. Now that money is no option. I might just have like a couple colors. I can rotate through them. Well, you know, I have bad I news like for you. Cause they, 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 it was a shoes. complete rebuild. It doesn't look, it's not, it's nothing like the, the old Zanel. So who knows? No. You might not like it. This is what I hate about shoe companies. They're always <laughs> changing what I love about them. And then, and then I get so discouraged that I end up buying the shoe that I like for years until they no longer make it. And so when people are like, what's your favorite shoe right now? I'm like, I don't like any shoes. I'm, I'm wearing what I liked back in 2004. <laughs> there you go. I love it. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing so much of your knowledge. Uh, you can go check this out over on the rambling runner podcast. If you're watching the end of this episode over on YouTube, thank you again, my man. Thanks, Matt. This was fun.